0: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: Jamie's parents are NIMBYs.
2: I started recording you. You want that on the record.
1: I'd tell them they were NIMBYs. We talked about it over his birthday weekend in Prague.
0: This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street.
2: Mind the Gap. Hello, I'm John Ellidge and this is Skylines the Metric Podcast. One of the tricks with this with this show is to try and keep the balance between, you know, quite big, heavy, intellectual, wonkish ideas... And talking complete and utter nonsense, and sort of me vaguely relates to a city. So, so yeah, here's here's Seramonavis joining me to talk about something that's been been vexing me a little bit about about you and your relationship to this very fine city in which we live. Is that you don't like it very much, do you?
1: I really don't like it. I've always f- hated it. As a child, I came to the UK on a holiday, which was a bad family holiday, and half of it was spent in the English countryside driving around but my parents would not let us go into Stonehenge because it cost too much money so we like looked at it from the motorway away from it.
2: I've literally done the exact same thing on the way back from a wedding it was like 15 quid to get in and the massive queue whereas if you But we flew! We flew to
1: England! We flew to England to look at the rock formation sorry am i screaming now into you're, this? you're, you're getting like, so
2: angry about this <laughs> but, <thing. laughs>
1: I, mean, I can remember it so vividly because of how disappointing that trip was because my parents were like we'll fly all the way to the uk we'll drop all that money but the like extra like 50 pounds it's gonna cost to get the four of us in here and no f- thanks when
2: when i did my first us road trip in 2008 for the obama mccain election we drove seven hours out of our way to go to Buffalo, New York, so we could see Niagara Falls. And like I said, we were on the road for seven hours. It was, a, it was a stop that wasn't related to my campaign reporting. We got there and it was like $8 to park in the car park. And my friend Scott, who was driving me, was so enraged by that. He wanted to get straight back on the interstate. <laughs> it's like, no, don't be an idiot. Just like, let's get... Anyway, there is a but very... But that's what con- happens. But there is a great view of Stonehenge from the side of the A303 next to an ice cream stand and you can kind of see it as as the druids intended on the horizon through a, a metal a chain link fence, fence. Yeah. that's the
1: thing is it was like the Stonehenge prison yard experience like it was not why would we drive all the way there and fly all the way to that country to, like, just go and do that? Anyways, that was one half of the holiday. And that's the half I actually liked. It okay, we was like Windsor Castle. And that was fun.
2: But we've drifted. A I mean, like, no, wait, we've I'm getting back instantly to it. Drifted I'm back from, to it. Like, you said you hated London as a child. And you're now Again, talking about but now I'm getting
1: back to it. The other half of the holiday was spent in... London the only thing I wanted to go see was I was like "Ooh, let's go to Wimbledon and look at the tennis courts the world famous tennis courts and literally the rest of it I was like this place is a shithole there's black stuff in my nose you come from
2: Dayton Ohio Yes.
1: again people seem to think that I mean that in comparison to the shithole I grew up in but I think that this is a Like, especially a shithole because people pretend it's, like, the best thing that's ever happened when in reality it's just, like, a very wide shithole. And that's really how I feel. And even as, as like, a 14-year-old on Facebook on my iPod Touch or my sister's iPod Touch... I was like, oh, I don't like it here. It's so rainy and it's so dirty. There's shit in my nose. I hate it. Okay,
2: but like, let's... let's... I'm never
1: going to come here again And that it's like, what is it called? Smash frame?
2: Smash car? Crash.
1: Yeah, whatever, that. To today and I'm like, oh, here I am. I'm really happy to have my dog in like one square foot of space.
2: I mean, you probably shouldn't have like moved to the uk and then decided yeah, you wanted to work actually, in the media yeah that's actually are, what i the, think the, about every the, the morning of my life those are the wrong choices that's
1: the shower thought i have every day as a tear rolls down my face but it's masked by the rest of the shower why the tear is the tear is black
2: cause of the yes exactly from but the why pollution. okay as as long-term listeners will know i grew up in the suburbs
1: romford uh, right
2: represent and I found out the other day that my borough voted 70% leave. I knew it was pro-leave, but I didn't realise it's, like, way, way pro-leave. Like, it's far more than any of the other pro-leave boroughs in London. I think when you grow up on the the fringes of a city, you tend to, sort of, like, the city is where all the action is happening. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I think part of why I was always sort of interested in, like, London as a sort of idea is it kind of just represented, you know real life. over It's, you know, I'm in this boring place, but at the end of this train line, everything is happening. So I think that does kind of give you a slightly dewy-eyed impression of a city in a way, like, if you grew up outside it altogether, maybe you don't get that. But
1: I, like, so I grew up on the edge, like, my town was a suburb. Yeah, but there was a
2: suburb of Dayton, Ohio. It wasn't a suburb of like a real place.
1: It was a shithole. However, my mom grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I loved Chicago and I loved going there and I loved going down like Michigan Avenue and Lakeview Drive and looking out and all the buildings and ooh, it's so exciting. Ooh, there's Saks Fifth Avenue here. Like, I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed Seattle as a child. I'm not anti-city, but I am very anti-London and I think it's really, really gross And then you can get into all the socioeconomic issues with London and just as people on our desk, like four people on our desk alone live in Peckham and we're laughing at the Financial Times's Piece about gentrification in Peckham. Were you not
2: here for this? No. Indra, the New Statesman online sub editor Indra Warnes did write a very good piece, which was her diary of being a passenger in Thameslink. Which I felt like that was insightful. It was. was, was I I
1: really felt like my eyes were open to how bad it is because I complain about like because I okay blah 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 blah. Everybody's gonna give me shit for this. I live in Notting Hill. Oh, horrible. Whatever. I'm American. Let me. Live, I have to wait for the circle line at Notting Hill Gates, which only comes at best every 10 minutes. And even that feels like a burden I have to bear every Monday to Friday. However, the Croydon thing made me think, you know what? It's not so bad. And I get to see Seamus Milne most days. So that's always fun.
2: I, I saw Seamus Milne at the opera the other week.
1: Are you joking? No. When were you at the opera?
2: My other half is, likes opera. I like has, opera. I tolerated opera.
1: <laughs> what um, opera were you at with Seamus? Milne.
2: I should probably explain for anyone who isn't like obsessed with British politics that Seamus Milne is the communications director for Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn and he's still officially a guardian staffer on leave, but has <laughs> has certain opinions on foreign policy. Yes, he's um, the architect
1: warfare. of yes, all these things. Although one thing I will say is like I read Captain Corelli's Mandolin because Jamie's mom gave it to me for christmas and i hated it and i thought it was like a cartoonish representation you're just like
2: this is a burning ball of hatred
1: <laughs> like it's a very cartoonish representation of not only greek people but also italians and essentially are you getting upset for my shouting or upset for how long i'm talking about no i'm just i'm just
2: think. slightly adjusting the volume
1: but i read captain crowley's mandolin and i was really upset by its representation of greek people so i was like googling like oh like captain crowley mandolin public reaction Greece or whatever and the one person who'd written a huge thing about how greek people hate that book is seamus milne oh well there you go which i think is very funny i thought that was a funny easter egg that i found in his like guardian backlog of like actually the u.s deserved 9-11 pieces
2: okay circling back to the topic in hand you live in a picture book bit of london
1: yeah you live in a place and where i hate a, a richard
2: curtis film yes and you're complaining about it
1: I mean, and I know that this is my own doing, but it is very expensive around there. Coffees are very expensive there. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, exactly. They have very good charity shops if you are a woman who likes designer clothes but likes spending seven pounds on literally anything
2: is it possible that you know you are in fact a snob who has decided you can only live in one of the nicest bits of london and then discovered that it's still you know fundamentally part of a big city and everything's just overpriced and like maybe you would have been happier if you'd just been a bit more comfortable living in a place with some poor people
1: oh my god i live in a bit of london i actually and this is a misconception about notting hill is i live like right near grenfell and, like, it is actually relatively diverse. And my bit is the bit right when it starts to not be super posh. I
2: have been to your house.
1: Yes, but it is near there. There are, like, it's actually very yeah, diverse. But it's not... It is! <laughs> Literally, Jamie's uncle, who is not white, he was like, I grew up around there and it's way more diverse than people think and blah, 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 blah. He, his parents, I think, were, like, Windrush generation.
2: Yeah, I mean, Kensington... Is has always been a lot more mixed than people give it credit for because North Kensington is a very
1: yes, it's like a area. yeah, exactly,
2: and also like yeah, once upon a time, Notting Hill was. I live as, almost as, in as North the presence Kensington. of the carnival would suggest. Notting Hill was uh, an area that a lot of the Wimrush generation of Caribbean immigrants yes. moved to. Nonetheless, I've been to your house and it doesn't feel like that. It no. does feel like
1: it's. I'm it's, not trying to it's, say it's not posh. It's,
2: you live very near the Portobello Road, which is this kind of posh, but market. the
1: the shit end of it. Okay. There is a shit end of it. Maybe you'd be happier in Peckham. Have you been to Peckham? I actually haven't been to Peckham, but I've read a very interesting piece in the Financial Times today about it and all of its graveyards.
2: Nunhead Cemetery is is a hell of a...
1: Well, the thing is, I think that my issue is a combination of two things, which is one, growing up in not a posh family, but living in a posh area. But so I saw all the big houses. I saw all of the like really nice things, but I couldn't afford, you know, like we didn't, we couldn't, like we weren't... Anyways, I don't need to get into my class background because that's just like its own can of worms. But it was like aspirational. It's like one day, American dream, I can have the big house with a big garden and all that bullshit. And it was very pretty and stuff. And that's mixed with the fact that I was like, I think like the aspirational side, as well as the fact that I was exposed to it makes me like leafy areas that are posh because I can pretend I'm posh.
2: But it does mean like sometimes you're missing out on... Like,
1: yes, I think I am missing out. I think there are things I could be getting out of London. However, I would rather live in different cities that weren't posh. Like Glasgow, I would argue, is even better in a lot of ways.
2: Glasgow, I mean, I've only been there for like once for 36 hours, but I loved it. I just instantly loved the place. No,
1: you were there when I, and I told you to come to Edinburgh to see me. And you were like, I've been to Edinburgh 10 times. Yeah, I used to go and, there and And I remember, or... now
2: you say this. I remember, I mean, firstly, this was before we'd ever met, not on the that's internet. That's why I thought it'd be so fun. Like, I've got one night in Glasgow. I'm not going to get on the train to, Yeah, and that's for what you said. Minutes. And I was like, okay, fine. That's not the point of this story. I couldn't live in, like, Glasgow's great, but I couldn't live there because you wouldn't think the weather would be that much worse than London, but somehow it is It is actually Scotland. very bad. Yeah. Please mind the gap between
0: the train and the platform.
2: So, I am here once again in the Centre for City's very glamorous London Bridge offices with uh, Head of Policy, Paul Swinney. Hello, Paul. Hello, John. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you Yeah, I'm all
3: right, I'm all right.
2: We're recording this in early March, so we're going to pretend that, like, you know, we're just going to ignore Brexit, because, like, whatever we say now, it might be overtaken by events, although knowing, knowing the way things have been going recently, it probably won't be. But anyway, we're going to, we're going to keep that whole side of the conversation vague. But we are going to talk about a vaguely related issue of exports. You guys talk a lot about sort of exports from cities, don't you? And you're in like your reports, you kind of have a sort of standard number of like a you know, percentage of jobs working in sort of export industries and so on. But we don't really tend to think of like, you know, exports as being a sort of city level thing. We tend to think of them as being a, a national thing, like a thing you do across sort of national frontiers. So we're gonna get into why why you think this is important. But let's let's start with the the, the boring definition of question. What do you mean by an export in this
3: context? So when we talk about exporters within a city, we're talking about uh, any business that sells beyond its local market. So traditionally, when we think about exports, we think that you say on a country basis, and so that means an export from one country to a, to another country. When this basis is actually about an export from from a city to its wider region, or a city to the rest of the country, as well as obviously elsewhere in the world. And that's quite interesting because, you know, the location decisions of of these types of businesses are very different to the other group of businesses that we look at, which are local services. So there'll be hairdressers, shops, cafes, and those sorts of things. You know, those local service businesses are there purely because there's loads of people to sell to, or there's a market to, to sell to. Whereas exporting businesses, you know, in principle, because they sell to loads of different markets, you could locate anywhere, in theory. When cities are trying to attract in businesses, it's actually these exporting-type businesses are trying to attract in rather than sort of the whole gamut of businesses that you get. And that's why you know, it's interesting to understand how these businesses perform and where they decide to locate, because they're the ones that, that drive on local economies.
2: So w- which way does the causality run here? If you look at a city economy with a large proportion of export businesses in it, meaning they're selling to you know, other cities rather than other countries, Is that like important because like you need those businesses to have a healthy city economy? Or is it important because it's you know it's it's a measure of the fact you do have a healthy city economy because if you didn't, then
3: the businesses wouldn't be there? They are the drivers of of city economies. There are a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that if you look at productivity, which we're all very much interested in at the moment, exporting businesses tend to be more productive. What does that mean for people? higher wages more money in people's pockets but also what's interesting is you look at over the last 20 30 years you can see that they're the ones that push on productivity growth as well so how can we sort of see that in in real life well if you think about say a local service business like a yoga instructor or an exercise Mm. instructor you know in 2019 they may well be playing music now through their iphone rather than playing it through a ghetto blaster but they're still only teaching a room full of people. You know, The ability to see large productivity gains in those types of jobs is limited. It's the same for waiters and waitresses or people pulling pints or, or, or hairdressers, for example. You just don't see huge increases in productivity. You don't
2: really want your hairdresser to get twice as fast, necessarily, do you? you kind <laughs> oh, of want, right. to set, yeah.
3: They're physically limited by, um, by you know, their, their two hands and how long it takes to, to, to cut a head of hair. Whereas you know, exporting businesses, because they're selling in many different markets and they can scale their businesses and they can absorb new innovations, actually, they're always finding new and better ways of, of doing things. And indeed, you know, that's the main reason why we see uh, differences across the country in terms of how well cities perform. Exporters of the greater South East are the types of businesses that cities in the Great South East have been able to attract in have been these high-skilled element of exporters, whereas further north, you know, they've attracted in exporting businesses. They have a tradable base that trades nationally, internationally, which is great. But the types of activity that they do tends to be low-skilled, low-productivity, and that has implications in terms of, of wages, prosperity, benefit dependency, all these different things.
2: Okay, can we drill down into that a little bit? You're talking about these two different types of export businesses, high skilled and low skilled. Can you give me a couple of examples of each and kind of give a sense of like why they locate in the places they do? Definitely.
3: So the way I always like to, um, to illustrate this is not even to think about different businesses, but to think about the same business. And I've got two examples that, that come from, from or relate to my home city of Sunderland. So the first one is Barclays Bank. Um, Barclays Bank uh, has a big presence in Canary Wharf where it does all of its investment banking activity. All that high value stuff, some people might, might dis- disagree with it being high value, but it, you know, it tends to be more productive as long as it's sort of you know doing things that are legal, etc. Not to say that Barclays has ever done anything illegal. A friend of mine clarify. works for
2: Barclays Bank. I don't think he's very high value. <laughs> I'm just chucking this out there because he used to listen to this podcast just in case he didn't, you know.
3: <laughs> Well, he can feed back and he can yeah. tell us what goes on within Canary Wharf Towers. But in general, the type of activity that's going on there is high value. It, it's high scale. You know, it pays high wages. But not all of Barclays' activities go on within within their base within Canary Wharf. Actually, the back office stuff occurs within Sunderland. So there's a former enterprise zone up in Sunderland, and they've got a big Barclays call centre and does all of its back office functions. Now, why does that happen? Why does even the same business split out its activities across these two locations? Well, Canary Wharf offers Barclays lots of high-skilled workers and a network of other investment banks that they they can trade with, share ideas with, and compete against too. And, you know, Bartley's will pay premium to get access to those benefits, you know, so despite the rent that you have to pay within Canary Wharf, Bartley's is, is, is sitting in its investment banking activities within Canary Wharf rather than Doxford Park in Sunderland. But the back office stuff, you know, the more routinised stuff, the stuff that doesn't require knowledge, doesn't require, or quite routinises activities... Barclays would never put that, that sort of stuff in Canary Wharf because it's dead expensive to be located there. And that type of activity doesn't get any benefit from being based there. Instead, what they're looking for for that part of business is lots of cheap land and lots of, of probably lower skilled, perhaps cheaper workers as well. Now, Sunderland doesn't offer the benefits of Canary Wharf, but it does offer the benefits of cheap land and cheaper workers, and that's why it's then able to attract in this type of activity. So it will always outcompete London for a call centre. Actually, it will probably always outcompete uh, South End for a call centre as well, because London South End is, is fairly expensive. But it would never outcompete London for, a, for an investment bank because of the benefits that London is able to offer. We say the same thing for Nissan. You know, the, the car plant in Sunderland employs 7,000 workers. hugely important for the economy, but actually, it's, it's mainly a component assembly. Factory, you know, there's not much what we would call value add going on within there. You mean there's not like the design work, going precisely on, you know, the engineering, exactly. Industry. So engineering occurs in Cranfield in Oxfordshire, design occurs in Paddington in London. You know, for the reasons that we set out before. So you know, even looking within within two businesses, we can see they're splitting out their activities because of the different benefits that different places offer. And crucially, this then has a huge impact on how successful different economies are across the country.
2: I like the way that your low-skilled business is Barclays Bank there. Like, I know it's a low skill <laughs> bit of Barclays Bank, I know it's kind of some nice shade, as they would say on, on the internet. So can a city prosper without having that many exporting businesses? Like, is it possible to kind of prosper just by, like, selling to yourself? Is there a size of city in which that becomes possible?
3: Well, this is the great debate about openness and trade, or should you have closed economies? And I think there's, there's lots of work on a, on a country level which shows that trade is a good thing, being open is a good thing. And indeed, you know, President Trump's trade tariffs obviously have, have caused all sorts of consternation amongst economists, that this will be a bad thing, closing trade down rather than opening it up. If you 're just selling to yourself you're sort of circular you 're not really bringing any sort of new money in the economy you 're not finding new ways of, of innovating and driving on productivity, so it would be very difficult I think to have see increasing standards of living if you were very closed now that is very interesting in the context of what is being called the Preston model and this is this idea that particularly I think is taking hold uh, within certain parts of the Labour Party, and, and Preston is called that because Preston are, are doing it which is the public sector is only going to trade with local bodies. It's only going to do local procurement. Now, what where exactly the boundary is in that, it's not clear, but effectively what they're saying is that we're no longer going to give contracts to people in, in Birmingham or companies in London or companies in Edinburgh. Instead, what we're going to do is only spend our money in the local economy to support, you know, support their businesses, which in principle sounds great. You know, well, yeah, buy local, excellent. And we have things like the Bristol Pound and stuff like that, that tries to encourage consumers to buy locally too. But the reality of that, though, is that it's very similar to Trump's trade tariffs in that you're putting up barriers and you're saying we're only going to trade with these, these companies. We're going to look after our own first. And that has all sorts of potential negative implications that you're not trading with the world, you're a closed economy, and that could actually limit prosperity, even if even though sort of the idea is to like, oh, no, boost local businesses.
2: I'm going to stop you there just because I did want to let you do a whole podcast when which you made this argument. And I'm sure you will do it again in the future. So we'll leave it till next time. Paul, thank you very much. Okay, so I feel we're. I was gonna say we're drifting from our core topic, but we haven't really arrived at the core no. topic of like explaining what it is you don't like about you're gonna tell me what you don't like and I'm gonna argue with you and tell you why it's in fact brilliant. Why don't you like London?
1: So, how about I start with what I do like about London? Okay. I like that it's very diverse. I like that you have lots of different types of food and you have lots of different types of things and jobs. However, I think that that's also part of the problem in, with London. Not the problem with London, the problem with the UK, which is that, like, the one thing, like, is that London has all of these things and you almost are forced to be here if you want to be exposed to anyone who isn't, like, a white, usually generationally British person, other than, like, small pockets. So I don't I... think
2: that's entirely fair in that most of the big cities are a lot more diverse than you're suggesting like one of the most I think diverse that they are, I think, cities in Britain is actually Birmingham. Like if you you well, walk like around Birmingham, Birmingham I, I was going to say Birmingham diverse.
1: is is more diverse. However, I do think London is its like own thing in a lot of yeah, ways.
2: Yeah, but like we, we've often... And I, there's I,
1: like six of the country lives here and that's obviously f***ed up. That shouldn't be a thing. And that is your own doing in this country. And anyways, but that's not why I dislike London. That's why I like it. Because all that stuff. For the
2: record, London's always been vastly bigger than the other British... Like in, but I think in, that in the, that's In the 16th something... century, London was like 10 times bigger
1: yeah, than the Yeah, but I think that century. they should have done a better job of figuring that out. Don't I mean, you like, like that's, I, I, distribution
2: I agree with you. I've written of on multiple occasions, we should move the capital and you know, devolve power. I totally do you actually think with,
1: we should move the capital?
2: I mean, I can think that safely because I know they're not going to do it. But yes, I think it would be the correct policy choice. I don't think really you do it... To where? It. I'd put it in Manchester. Why? It's roughly the middle of the country geographically. You're near a lot of people because Manchester's in the middle of that cluster of northern cities. Yes, yeah. so it gives you an entirely different view of British history and what Britain means because it was the centre of the Industrial Revolution. London would remain the financial and you know tourism capital and cultural probably. You could put political power in Manchester and take economic power with it to a certain extent and then you kind of have like London is New York and and Manchester is Washington DC and all and I don't think the London economy would, would skip a beat I think you couldn't just press a button and do it you would need to grandfather it in over probably about 20 years and say you know by 2040 the capital will be in Manchester so because like if you just try to move it. Is that going to be
1: your platform when you join the Lib Dems? Shut
2: up. I would like to make very clear at this juncture that I'm with apologies to our Lib Dem listener, I am not one of you I'm never going to be but like if you just tried to do it overnight you would lose a lot of the manpower of the government, like not the MPs, but like, you know, the top civil servants and so on. Because people can't just sticks because they have kids in school or elderly parents or whatever it is. But if you do it over a generation, it becomes possible to make those kind of plans and people can either move or they can switch careers and you don't lose the institutional memory. And I just think there are very few buttons a government can press that would... Uh, magically sort of take a chunk of economic activity in London and put it somewhere else in the country, but not other than is itself, one of yeah, basically, and also the like true if you look,
1: power at, lied within.
2: If you look at infrastructure planning, projects in London tend are more likely to get approved because, like, at the most basic level, I think civil servants look at this and they're like, "Yep, I can see why we need Crossrail." Whereas if it's like Should we have a tram system in Leeds? You've got these guys making a decision in Whitehall, which is crazy in itself. But they're like, well, they can see the counter arguments much more easily. So I think it would also kind of just reframe how the government sees the rest of the country. Because you're right. You're right about that part. We are too overcentralized.
1: Yeah, I do Uh, think like I think as Finn Darby on Twitter made a joke about ages ago. It was like when Mary Black or one of the SNP MPs was like, how does Glasgow have fewer MPs than London or something like that? And he was like, why does the great, like, ancient kingdom of Fife have fewer MPs? Like, it's yeah. just like, nobody f-ing lives there compared to how many people live in f-ing London. So I think like, that's annoying. But I do think that, like...
2: If you ever really want to wind up a Scottish nationalist, do point out that London has twice the population of Scotland. And then yeah, and then they off. get very upset they don't like maths sometimes but no. that's a whole different thing but okay so like what, but why do you tangent. not why do you personally no that was actually the, the closest we've come this episode to some actual content <laughs> it is content. A fucking tangent but why it's do you why personally like not like london
1: um so i think like it has a lot to do with the geography of it as well as the economics I like that it's very spread out and I don't really mind that but I do also think it like costs a lot of money and the wealth disparity is really weird and like it's like so oppressive and there's like an attitude here that you don't get in other parts of the UK where everybody is like grumpy and mean and like I don't know you just you walk around and it feels like shit and it feels stressful and it's ugly most of the time and like I know that that's like get over it like sorry it's not pretty blah 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 but like like I feel like I have to live here but I don't necessarily have to and so I'm allowed to not like that about this I think
2: I mean okay I'm gonna argue with a couple of things I think huge chunks of London are very pretty
1: yes but it's the fact that it's like it's so f- big and it's just like you're inevitably going to pass by like horrible shits like every single day I mean wh-
2: wherever you go there will also be terrible stuff as well yes
1: but I think like in London it's but they sort especially of prefer terrible. that to the
2: Parisian model where you've got this absolutely incredible beautiful centre and then they just pushed all the crappy bits to the suburbs well yeah and, like that's in them. its
1: own way but I do think I like if I was living there I'd be like yeah I prefer that but that's obviously like a very privileged thing
2: and because um, as we discussed earlier it's because you hate poor people
1: I don't hate poor people. I you just, literally Okay, up, you just
2: don't want to see them.
1: I grew up very, like, not well off. And I had, like, family. And, like, you know, I was in the, f- like, US during, like, the recession. Like, I know people whose parents were, like, ma- like very badly unemployed and, like, already had working-class jobs and then were laid off from working-class jobs. Like, I'm not, like, pretentious in that way. But I also think I did grow up in a very aesthetically pleasing environment. And i probably become accustomed to being in a very aesthetically pleasing environment. I grew up, like... Around loads of trees and green space, and there is a thing like if you've read the book Happy City, it's not about how much green space there is; it's about the regularity of green space you're exposed to. And in London, you get these huge chunks of green space, which is great, but the regularity is not as much as hmm, the I'm, science. I okay. I passed by Hyde Park.
2: I mean, you you cross central London, so that's specifically that. But like, London is quite green compared to. I mean, again, I'm thinking of Paris here. Yes, I've but we're not
1: even we're ta- not talking about. Paris yeah but, but it's okay like London has as more big than Paris city, as big cities go like London, London has, has, has more, more green space, space than, than Doha like it has more
2: green space than New York or Chicago
1: yes but I'm not saying that New York and also Chicago is like on a huge lake that's like a like a freshwater lake which is very beautiful and Chicago you don't walk around and blow your nose at the end of the day and have black shit in it
2: I see I never get that
1: yeah, but that does happen in London. I remember that even as a kid.
2: No, I mean, I've been told this, but it's like, am I not we getting it? We've talked about some... this on
1: this podcast. I swear to God we've talked about this because like you were like, oh, it doesn't happen. But it literally happens to like
2: but most this, people. But this is, I'm wondering if, if you like, just have like no Am I metabolizing nerves? it or yeah. something?
1: Yeah, probably. Probably because you were like, immersed in it as a baby i definitely
2: have nostril hairs i'm a man who's nearly 40 it's really upsetting <laughs> because
1: like, your nostril hair should be catching it you probably have very weak nostril hairs i
2: have kind of consolidated most of my hair onto the top of my head to be honest
1: which it's... is good again for a man nearing 40
2: yeah okay we should be wrapping up so we can do a quick <laughs> but anyways, fire. i think like non-skincare bit
1: london I think London is incredibly expensive. It's incredibly exclusive. I think that to be able to enjoy a lot of things in London, you need to have a certain amount of income. And I think that is problematic. And I think that it like, because of that attitude and like, the quote-unquote rat race, I think that you end up, just because of the way the city functions and so many people in the city function, you end up feeling like shit if you're part of that machine. I think,
2: I think there are a couple of things here. I think that's true, but I think that's a problem with the rat race rather than the problem with... I think London is the location of, not the symbol of that. The other thing is, you have chosen to live in West London, which as everyone knows, is West London is worse London.
1: I kind of prefer living there, though, because I like being able to like hide away at the weekend and I can just...
2: I mean, take you my can dog hide, to the park. But the reason you can hide away there is because no one else who you are likely to know will ever make the choice of living in West London because it's terrible.
1: I know someone who lives very near me in West London who works at the eye and we see each other and we go have lunch.
2: It's dreadful, though. Why would someone live in West London? It's just like West London. I think is, like having a dog. All...
1: I'd like to let everybody know that I have a dog. And that also Every- everyone knows you have a dog. Sarah. <laughs> Do you know Stephen didn't know that I have a dog Instagram. He was like, Oh, Sarah, I like being friends with you, and I like seeing pictures of on Instagram of your dog because it's you with the dog. You're not one of these people that runs an Instagram for your dog. And I was like, Unfortunately, you are not following Hey There It's Martha on Instagram. And I do run an Instagram for my dog, and she has over a hundred followers, and I'm very proud of her. And she looks very cute lately.
2: I follow that account and I regret it. But anyway. You don't
1: regret it. She's I, cute.
2: It's just like She's
1: so cute. Follow her at Hey There It's Martha. And she's a little black cockapoo and she's going to be nine months old and probably by the time this is out.
2: That's not many followers your dog has, but that's not...
1: I don't have... I'm not trying to get I'm her into influencer status. She's I'm just not going to get like, any
2: brand deals. Yeah, no, but I don't followers. need her to have
1: brand deal. The brand deal is in my heart.
2: Did you literally just... No, never mind. Yeah, it is. But She's cute. I, but my point is that, like... She
1: likes peanut butter West London is
2: West London is more and expensive socks. and it's more rat racy and it is more full of terrible people. Yes,
1: but I think that my issue is not, like, it's, it's more about, like, not the day-to-day... Because like, when I lived in Edinburgh, it was expensive. And, like, obviously London's own stratosphere. But, like, in terms of, like, day-to-day costs, it's not that much. Like, I still, like, I don't really go out to eat... I pack my lunch most days. You know, I do like a big grocery order from Tesco and I make like f- bean curries. Like I still can live cheaply in that way. But it's the fact that it's like the rent and the tube and the bills and like the I want to go out for dinner. The
2: big one the rent would be a lot cheaper if you lived in like a real bit of London.
1: I don't think my rent is actually extortionate for where I live. And I think that's the secret to where I live is people probably think I pay like much, much more monthly. I'm
2: just saying I think you should consider moving to Peckham.
1: I'm not joking. I I know you wanted to probably end on that note, but I am like, oh, maybe I should live somewhere in either like really north or really south London, near a bunch of parks, and then Martha the dog can like play in a graveyard.
2: Well, there you go. Write and tell Sarah where she needs to live. Um, Yeah, actually,
1: do that. Tweet me. Tell me where you think I should live if I like grass and things like that.
2: Do you have any idea how difficult it is getting out of a podcast review? Because every time I start coming to conclusions, you just start yelling into the microphone. Well,
1: it's Friday, and I'm enjoying just putting my brain on ice, man. Just have it sitting back with my friend and boss, John Elledge.
2: Don't follow the dog. It's really follow boring Follow
1: the dog, it is boring, but in a nice way. She's very cute and she got a haircut. You're trying to turn me off, aren't you?
2: You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Ellidge, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast or whatever other app you use to get your your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to to tell other people we're here? You know, it really helps people discover the show. And I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.